0: Why don't you turn to 1 Samuel chapter 18? His name is David, and David means beloved. And in chapter 18, (laughs) you'll see why he has this name. Chapter 18, you can write in the margin everybody loves David, but almost everybody. David is, is the longest biography in the Older Testament. As a matter of fact, it's the first biography in ancient literature. It is uh, the deepest and most sophisticated deep dive into a life in all of antiquity to try to understand the human experience. The story of David inspired Shakespeare to write a beloved play. It's called Hamlet. You can see that when you look at it. Read that book with that in mind. And chapter 18 is a pivotal episode in the life of David. Things change. There's a plot twist here. It's chapter 18, comes right after chapter 17. And chapter 17, the headline in the Israel newspaper reads like this. Cheese delivery boy saves nation. (laughs) That's the David and Goliath story where David says you uncircumcised Philistine look at you you've come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin i come to you in the name of jehovah almighty the god of the armies of israel and whom you have defiled and he tells him what's going to happen and it does happen and here's the punchline so the whole world will know that there is a god in israel chapter 17 david and goliath iconic Chapter 18, everybody loves David. Well, almost everybody. Look how the author is going to show six times rapid-fire succession about how many and how full the love of David you know, penetrates. Watch. It starts with the crown prince, Jonathan. Saul's son. Verse 1 <laughs> After David had finished talking, about, talking with Saul about the killing of the giant, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved David as himself. The next victims of, of becoming in love with David were the people and the military itself. Verse 5, wherever, uh, whatever Saul, King Saul sent him to do, David did it so successfully that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. And this pleased all the people... And Saul's officers as well. Very next word, verse, the women of Israel love David. And when the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all of the towns of Israel to meet King Saul. Keep that in mind. They're going to have a parade for King Saul, singing and dancing and so- joyful songs with, with tambourines and, and lutes. And here it is. This is when everything changes. This is when it happens. David's life is pivoting on a single song. Look what it says. And, the, and as the women danced, they sang Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Move camera to Saul's face, zoom in. His eyes turn green with envy. If the eyes are the window of the soul, look inside there and you'll see that bent. In Saul, the crack has now opened to become a crevice. It's now a valley. And all the poison that's beneath the magma in all of us is now able to break through. Saul's a people pleaser. We know that in his life. And now the people are not as pleased with him. You live by, you know, approval ratings, you're going to die by approval ratings. Look what happens to Saul, verse 8. And Saul was very angry. This refrain refrain galled him. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept an envious eye on David. Envy has entered the storyline. This passage teaches teaches the absolute destructive power of envy. This ta- passage teaches the absolute destructive power of envy. This is a graphic visual of a green-eyed monster devouring its prey, Saul. Aristotle was one of the first to write on envy, at least in the West, and he said, it is the pain at the sight of of another's good fortune, stirred by those who have what we ought to have. Envy is the king of the seven deadly sins. Joseph Epstein, you may know he, his book, it's a popular book on envy and, and the seven deadly sins, and he writes something very uh, insightful It's worth noting when he talks about envy. He says, you know, the six other deadly sins, sure, they'll destroy you, but they start with a little Something on the hook. They, 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 some, some kind of bait that lures you in and makes it tantalizing. Uh, gluttony is fun, and then it destroys you. Lust, awesome, and then it eats you alive. In other words, six deadly sins have the common story. You, you see it throughout our lives. It's, uh, you know, it was working until it didn't. But envy is not like that. <laughs> there's no bait on the hook. It's just a sharp edge. And when you bite in it, it immediately destroys joy. The moment it takes root, it, it el- eliminates your ability to enjoy whatever that moment is. You find yourself compulsively comparing yourself to other people. Never satisfied. Its power is so daunting that the Lord himself tells us and warns us of its power. Ten commandments, the tenth, you shall not covet. Don't covet. Do not envy. From this moment forward, from this song forward, what it does in, this, in, the, in the soul of Saul is the more people that love David, the more insane he becomes. Watch it play itself out. And the more Saul tries to kill or malign David the more successful he becomes, and the more beloved he becomes, so the more insane Saul becomes. It says in the passage, the very next verse, I'm sorry, in the next verse, but it says, the very next day, an evil, a harmful spirit from the Lord, comes upon, mightily upon Saul, while David is playing the harp in his presence. He has his hand on the guitar, and it says, Saul has his hand on a spear, and he says to himself, I will pierce him to the wall. And he hurls the spear at David, and David eludes him twice. And after David eludes the spear twice, it says Saul is afraid. Everybody loves David, almost everybody. Look, look what it says in verse 12. Saul was afraid of David, because, the, because Jehovah was with David, but it left Saul. And in everything David did, he, was, he had great success because Jehovah was with David. And when Saul saw how successful he was, he was afraid of him. Wait, there's even more people that love David. All of Israel and Judah loved David because he had led them in their campaigns. So let's just like let's keep the list going. Jonathan loves David. The people in the army love David. It says here the women love David. And all of Israel and Judah, north and south, everybody loves David. Well, except one person. The list continues. The princess, Saul's daughter, Michal, loves David. Princess Michal loves David. Verse 20 says, now Saul's daughter Michal was in love with David. And when they told Saul about it, he was pleased. And here's why. I will give her to him, he thought, and I will not have to raise a hand against him. I'll let the Philistines do that. So King Saul sees an opportunity and seizes upon it. He says, look, you know what? I'll put a bride price on, on Michal, my daughter, and say, David, if you want her, I'll let you earn the right to become part of the family. It's a timed event but you need to bring back to me proof that you've slayed, you've killed a thousand Philistine enemies. And David, okay. Now, the problem is, is the Lord was with David. He's a a prodigy soldier. And so, with this outrageous demand by King Saul, David comes back with evidence of 200 Philistines that he's killed. By the time... It was needed. And it says, it's Saul's response to that, he was still more terrified of David. Here's the conclusion of chapter 18, 28 and 29. When Saul realized that Jehovah was with David and that his daughter Michal loved David, Saul became still more afraid of him, and he remained his enemy the rest of his days. The passage today is teaching us about the absolute power the destructive power of envy the passage today is teaching us about the absolute destructive power of envy here's our outline just so make sure we all stay engaged here i'm going to give you a quick definition of what envy is i'll show you what envy reveals in our own hearts i'm going to show you the power of envy and then ultimately how do we overcome something that powerful in our lives. Definition of envy, I've read already Aristotle, it is the pain at the sight of another's good fortune stirred by the the thinking that that's what we ought to have. Bertrand Russell said, envy was one of the most potent causes of unhappiness. Pastor Tim Keller, I thought did a wonderful job explaining envy, has a two-fold attack He says, envy is being unable to enjoy what somebody else has because of comparison and being unable to enjoy what we have and turns to resentment. It's it's being unable to enjoy what somebody else has because of comparison and being unable to enjoy what we have, and that becomes resentment. Watch. If Saul was without envy and he hears that, ta- that song being played, he would say, oh my goodness, good for David. The people are crediting him to like 10,000 deaths of the bad guys. And me, they're giving me a 1,000. They're giving me a credit for 1,000 slayings of the bad guys. But that's not what the story is, because envy has entered this story. In the darkest recesses of King Saul's soul, If you want to know if you have signs of envy, look at what, (laughs) look how you can't appreciate in other people that person's beauty or that person's success. That's how it shows up when you resent that. And what's happening in all in that spiral of envy is your soul is at the center of the universe. It's all about you. And you can't help think and compare yourself to others' circumstances, particularly those that have what you think you ought to have, what you deserve. That's the definition of envy. Resenting others for having what you believe you should have. The second point in the outline is what envy reveals about us. Here's what envy reveals. It reveals what we value too much. It's what we've put... In first place it's what we've put frankly above God it shows us where our heart of hearts finds its meaning it is pointing out that our ego is driven in this direction that's where we're getting our hope that's where we're getting our joy and we become envious when that's blocked it's what motivates our choices so you can see in the life of Saul since it's so vivid what What is in the heart of his heart, which deep down inside is his kingship, and I would even go deeper and say it's about popularity, it's about loyalty from other people, and that's where he gets his joy. That's what motivates him. That's his hope in life that he could be that all the time, maybe in greater quantities. Now you don't have to speculate on this because in chapter 15 of 1 Samuel we read a few weeks ago that. What motivated his disobedience, when Samuel said, you need to go and take on the Amalekites and destroy everything they own, he comes back and saves all the good stuff. Why did he save all the good stuff? Because the soldiers said they wanted to keep it, and he didn't want to disappoint those soldiers. Well, he disappointed God, and he would rather be popular than obedient. He, he saves the king, Agag, so he'd have a trophy, so other people would know. What a great warrior he is! (laughs) Live by popularity, die by popularity. So, if you want to know what you've valued too much, look where you envy. Look where you find yourself with your eyes turning green. Whether it's someone's appearance, or success, or popularity, whatever it might be. What is interesting about envy is this is this is somewhat fascinating is that we all have different ways or different aspects of applying envy because we have different values, and we have put different things at the top. We valued something too much, but they're different. So we could put a picture of Jane Doe up on the slides, and family. And while it's the same person, we could all envy her for so many different reasons. We could all spitefully hate her because she has something that we should have. Look at her! Envy her because I wish I had that kind of husband. Someone would say, I wish I had a husband. (laughs) I envy her because of her, I don't know, popularity. And some would say, "Uh, who cares about that? I envy her for her intelligence. While the person right next to that person says, intelligence? Who cares about it? No one wants to be smart. Look how beautiful she is. I want her appearance. So (laughs) poor Jane Doe is up there being envied for so many different reasons. And it's up to the soul that determines that. Envy reveals within us the root of our misery. The fuel that we're running on. What what we use to make choices. It shows us what's too important in our lives. We've made something too valuable. That's what it shows in our heart. Now I want to show you the power of envy. So that you might be afraid. Power of envy. Envy is mean, it is ruthless. One author says, it is rarely confessed, even to ourselves. Uh, Pastor Jonathan Edwards wrote a sermon on envy 200 years ago or more, and when he's talking about the power of envy, he also brings up the idea that it's omnipresent. There's no place safe to hide from envy. And he goes back and shows, as an example, the Garden of Eden. And he says, look, this is, there's, there's no illness, there's no death, it is bliss. And Adam and Eve find themselves <laughs> acreage, miles of, of Eden, and they're under a tree looking up, saying, oh, I bet that's the best fruit in all the world, and we can't have it. Envy's everywhere and has the power to even destroy the Garden of Eden. Chapter 4 of Genesis is the first murder. Cain kills Abel, it says clearly in the Bible, because he envied him. Murder enters the story of humanity because of the power of envy. Here's what's happening in this story. It says in verse 10 11, And the next day a harmful or evil, whichever, spirit from God rushed upon Saul... And he raved within his house while David was playing the harp, as he usually did, and Saul had a spear in his hand, and, da- and, and he hurled it at David, saying to himself, I will pin David to the wall, but David eluded him twice. So you're, you read that, and you go, what's happening? An evil spirit from the Lord, a harmful spirit from the Lord. Here's what is, is taking place here. The human heart has a capacity for evil. In this case, envy or anger, whichever. And it maxes out at 100. You can't do anything over 100%. But sometimes we want more. There's another truth of reality, and that is there are evil spirits among us. Satan, the demons, the spirit world. There is a demonic presence. Almost every culture in all of human history believes this to be true. And sometimes when we hit 100% on one of the vices, but we want more, it is the Lord's protection in a general grace that keeps us from experiencing and being abused by the spirits of Satan. But when we ask, when we demand, he'll take us away from protective custody. He'll let us, in our human freedom, open those doors. And that's what's happening here. It's a passive... It's a passive sense of an evil or harmful spirit from God. He says, fine, if you want it, you can have it. In the New Testament, there's a passage that says, do not let the sun go down on your anger, lest it give the devil a foothold. Like It can, it can cause a stronghold in your life. You say, look, I want more. I'm going to bed angry, but I want to wake up angry. And at some point, the Lord says, that can be arranged I can let let this rabid dog loose in your life if you choose. And you can see what happens in a person's life when they just give themselves over to anger. Wow. You can see what happens when someone gives themselves over to lust. Just become, you don't even know them anymore. And that's what's happening in Saul's life. He has this envy, and the next day, spirit of envy comes upon him and and Saul this is this is the nature of things Saul thinks I can I've got this I can this will be up to my discretion and it's like a fly landing on fly paper screaming I gotcha and the fly paper says do you I have you and I will kill you but I want to make sure it's slow and painful and for all the other flies to see That's what's happening in Saul's life. (laughs) Envy is is a virus. It feeds on its own success. And and it's a virus and it it mutates. And so you can find yourself giving yourself over to envy and looking for different ways to resent people and and being resentful towards what you have in your life. And joy, (laughs) it's been a long time since you had that experience in your life because envy now rules just in summary anytime anything is more important than your in your life than god almighty himself the lord jesus christ and the power of the spirit working in you anytime something else is there it cannot endure that worship it is a drug it is it is an addiction it will drive you it will make you mad and you will lose you. Saul, in this storyline, keep reading. He's going to lose his family. He'll lose his crown. He'll lose his absolute sanity. That is the complete power, the destructive power of envy. That's the point of chapter 18. Anybody want to know how to keep envy from destroying your life? Yeah, I'll bet it's in the passage too. I love this style of writing. The, the 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 narrator, the narrator, the author has a style of showing us what the point is by constantly in the storyline doing a comparison and contrast. He puts two contrasts next to each other, and it's almost like you know, black versus white, right? It's like the bad guys versus the white hats, and he says, "Okay, there they are. Choose." And in this case, in chapter 18, evil is Saul and his choices. And the contrast to that, it's not David, it's Jonathan. Jonathan will lead us out of envy. What Saul has and is willing to kill for, to keep, Jonathan freely gives away. That's the contrast. Scholars will write about Jonathan, that Jonathan is the most noble character in the David story. Jonathan is the most noble character in the David story. And we need to watch what he does to know our way out of envy. Look how the passage starts. Chapter uh, 18, verse 1. And after David had finished telling, uh, talking to Saul about killing the giant, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off his robe that he was wearing, and he gave it to David, along with his tunic, along with his sword, with his bow, and with his belt. This section of Scripture has two huge points that we need to draw to our attention. One is the exceptional nature of this covenant that he's making. David, I'm sorry, Jonathan is initiating, he's making what's called a unilateral and unconditional covenant. You can see this, we can't kind of, but look, you'll see, but it's in the Hebrew vividly in the grammar in that it's what's called a significant grammatical pattern where there has a plural subject and a single verb. In other words, there's two people involved in the subject, but there's only one movement taking place, and so the law, the rule of the grammar is, whatever the first subject is, is doing all the work. Jonathan is the primary subject, he's the principal agent, and he's doing the covenant making. He, he's making this happen, it's unilateral, that means one way. One, one person is doing the promises and one person's accepting it, and it's unconditional. That means that no one is obliged to anything. It's unconditional by the receptive. David, I'm giving you these things. You don't have to do anything for them. This is what it means to be gifted. David, in this story, is merely holding his arms open. Jonathan is doing all the activity. All the verbs are for Jonathan. And listen, this is is the second major point of emphasis in this uh, first set of verses. It's not just a unilateral, unconditional covenant. Jonathan's not just like knighting David by giving him a sword and saying, you'll be in charge of all the armies. No, no, he's crowning David. In almost every one of your study Bibles, if you have them, will say by giving his robe and this armor for sure, but the robe itself is the signet of I am the king elect, I am the prince that will become the next reigning ruling king, and I'm passing this off to you. Jonathan knows that God is with David, and so he empties himself of what is truly his. It's his to empty. Let me just summarize. Because of the narrative style here, he deliberately, the narrator is deliberately, and I would say brilliantly, giving us these two contrasting characters with two contrasting values. They both know that God's hand is upon David. He is the Lord's anointed. And they both have a tremendous amount to lose. The throne. And I would say Jonathan more than Saul. Saul's been king. He knows what it's like. He's had his run. Jonathan is the king-elect, the crown prince. And he's willing to give that up. Saul opposes God's will. Jonathan embraces God's will. That's the difference. We can learn from that. When uh, we studied this, this passage years ago, in 1993, we had a, a camp for the youth ministry, and it was called Camp David. It was studying the monarchy. And our camp t-shirt looked like this. It had this raging stallion coming right at you, right here. And then on the top it says, make way for the monarchy. On the, well, how do you make way for a monarchy? Well, the back of the shirt told you, stand in front and be trampled, or follow behind and be led the point of the shirt is the point of the truth here one monarchy you know what that means it means there's a king a sovereign a lord it's not me and it's not you and king sovereign and lord means well it means stand in front of this raging stallion and be trampled try to put a stop to the lord's work or just follow behind and obey Because that's what kings, lords, and sovereigns are to experience. Submission to the authority of the sovereign work of the sovereign king. And when you submit to that, it quails, it squashes the envy in your life. Because you start to realize you don't deserve what maybe someone else has. Let me try to give you an example of this. This envy plagued me for over probably closer to two decades in my adult life after becoming a believer. And it was in this area of uh, I resented regularly other people's upbringing. I didn't particularly like mine. And when I would meet someone and find out about their background, I would, of course, romanticize it and then envy that. I would just think, well, I would say sometimes, well, I bet that was nice To grow up in a family like that good for you (laughs) but it was eating me alive I mean ang it's envy and it mixes with anger and sometimes that anger is pointed towards the person like Saul is to David and it just kept let me just say I I invited the spirit of envy into my life and it was like I had a rabid dog that was once chained and I let him loose And I was losing myself. I was becoming more angry and looking for more opportunities to be envious. And it got to the point where I thought, I've got to stop this while I I still can. And it occurred to me that my real anger was directed towards God as the sovereign and the Lord and the creator and the maker and the runner of all the universe. And I hated the hand that he dealt me. And so we had a talk about that. For a long time. If you wrestle with God long enough. You'll finally surrender to him. If you can't beat him. And you can't. You should join him. And eventually I surrendered. To his distribution. Of the cards that I was dealt. And there was an acceptance. And then there was an appreciation. Honestly. I mean I'm, I'm glad. I can see things and experience Things that only I can because of my background. And in that submission to the authority of the sovereign Lord, it chained that rabid envy up again and tightens its leash. And I was in submission to the authority of God. And in that, I was content in what he had done in my life. If you look at the faith that Jonathan has, technically... It's gospel faith. It's salvation faith. Watch what's happening here. Jonathan sees that salvation is going to come to all the nations through this David. Not through him, but through David. And he has to choose. He can stand in front of that salvation history, that plan of, of God, or he can stand in front and be trampled, or he can get in behind and be led. And he chooses to submit and participate in the plan of God for salvation, and he just wants to be part of it. And so it's like, sure, I'll give up my kingship, I'll give up my throne, and that's the definition of lordship. That's the definition of salvation. When you start realizing, like, that, that history storyline that goes through David, it goes to Jesus the Christ. And that salvation is only through Jesus the Christ. And you can stand in front of that sovereign will and be trampled, or you can follow behind and enjoy being led. It's gospel faith that he has. Jonathan shows us the solution, the the quenching of envy in our lives. What kills envy is the contentment that comes. In the realization that you don't have to know or understand or even like the will of God in your life, but you're at peace with it. You're at rest with it. It's not just that. It's not just his submission to the authority of God, but it is his love for God. That's the other way that Jonathan is able to show us the way out of envy. He loves what God loves. What brings joy to the Lord brings joy to Jonathan. He weeps with those who weeps, he 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 laughs with those who laughs. That's what that's what love means. <laughs> when John, when Jonathan Edwards writes uh, about in this sermon about about envy here, he says the definition of true love is when you give yourself over true love is when you give yourself over to the other person's experiences. You, you, are, you are never happier than when they are happy. You're never more joyful when then another person is joyful. See how the envy's not in this? You're never more sorrowful than when someone else is sorrowful. You, th- you, th- you are thrilled with people's prosperity. And so Jonathan is displaying this in that he loves David as he loves himself. God loves David. So Jonathan loves David. It's the love of God that he has. And he's displaying this by giving, so what does he do about it? Well, he strips himself of everything that would be valuable to someone in his situation. He gives him his robe and his weaponry and all of that. And he does that in a unilateral, unconditional manner because that's the nature of love. I've said it like four times. The theme of this chapter is the absolute destructive power of envy. And I'd like to correct that. It is about the absolute destructive power of envy and the more powerful submission to the authority of the Lord and your love for the Lord. You know what's more powerful than envy? Lordship and the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Saul's going to do everything he can to hold on to power, and he's going to lose the power and his mind. Jonathan empties himself of his royalty because of his love for God and his love for David and gives this unilateral, unconditional covenant and surrenders himself for another. Anybody? Sound familiar? (laughs) The ultimate Jonathan is pictured in Jesus, who empties himself of his royalty because of his submission to the Father His love for the Father. And what does the Father love? For God so loved the world. And if you love the world, I love the world. And if this is the only way to do it is surrender this way, I will do that. And I, Jesus says, I will bring a unilateral, unconditional covenant to those people that want to follow behind and be led. And because Jesus was willing to submit to the Father and enjoy what the Father enjoys and love what the Father loves, it says that he is the King of all kings. He's the Lord of all lords. And every knee will bow in heaven and under the earth that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. That's how all this works out. Jonathan, follow Jonathan. He'll lead you to Jesus. Follow Jesus for the love of Jesus. That is the story of 1 Samuel chapter 18. Ryan Asunto, my friend and elder, will lead us in a unilateral, unconditional covenant to help us remember the one that Jesus made. It's called the Lord's Table. Let's pray before we enjoy that together as a family. Lord Jesus, we are grateful to celebrate the truths that are found in this passage. And Lord, I'd ask that you would help us understand the power of your monarchy and how you, uh, we, we pray that your kingdom come and your will be done on earth or in my life as it is in heaven, that we wouldn't stand in front of your will and be trampled by our lusts and our envy, but we would follow behind and be led. Lord, I'd ask that you would help the, the truths that we're finding ourselves learning today about envy, and it's pointing to our bent, our crack in our character, and how we might apply the balm that Jonathan demonstrates for us in trusting in your sovereign will and loving you because you first loved us. Let our envy be chained by your authority and by your love. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.